Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.57 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is not April Fools, thank God. It is in fact the third day of April 2023. This is episode 696 of Bitcoin. And to all the people who did things to get Bitcoin, which may be considered illegal in the eyes of various governments, could y'all please practice at least a modicum of cold storage security so idiots like the United States federal government cannot confiscate your Bitcoin and panic sell it on the open market. Thank you. That's all I'm asking. That is all I'm asking, man. Stop letting the morons confiscate your Bitcoin. Honestly, I don't care how you got it. I don't care if you did illegal shit to get it. I don't care if you didn't do illegal stuff to get it. I, I, I literally don't care. Once you have it, it's up to you to keep it safe. Because if you don't keep it safe, what do you get? You get the United States Federal Marshal Service auctioning off Bitcoin yet again. And, and they always, they keep this shit in reserve to put pressure on the market at exactly the time that pressure needs to be on the market. And of course, they're pulling the trigger again. Now, I talked about that, oh, what, Friday and Thursday, I think I mentioned it both, both shows. But they've got like, they're going to do this in like 10,000 Bitcoin tranches. They've already cut loose like 9,870 or so of them. Somebody somewhere on Noster mentioned that way back in the day, they sold like they cut loose a 10,000 Bitcoin tranche, you know, a few years ago. And it, I don't know, tanked the price by some, you know, some non-trivial percentage point. I don't know. But at this point, it just dawned on me and it's like, well, I'm not going to blame the United States Marshal Service any longer because they, they clearly, clearly don't understand what this stuff means and neither does the United States federal government as a whole. They should just, they literally should just sit on it. I mean, being the one government on the face of the planet that has the least amount of Bitcoin is embarrassing, but there you have it. That's what's going on. By the time they're done with this, they will have probably the least amount of Bitcoin as any other government on the planet, if not less, because God only knows what other governments actually are sitting on some Bitcoin, but it is not up to them. It's up to everybody who actually holds the asset. It's our responsibility to not let the United States federal government or any government of any country confiscate our stuff. I mean, just stop. Practice cold storage security. Even, even if it's just a single key, stamp that shit into steel and then put it somewhere that's not in a safety deposit box. 
which is attached to your driver's license or passport or some other government ID. Because if they suspect that you have it and they start getting freaked out, and it looks to me like they're starting to get freaked out, they will go to that lockbox. They will drill that son of a bitch open. They will confiscate everything in it. And they're not complete morons. If they see a list of 24 words, they're probably going to go probably a Bitcoin wallet. Let's let's open this son of a bitch up and, and get it to our U.S. Uh, Marshals Service wallet. So please, for the love of yourself, your families, your family's future, and the rest of us, stop laying your shit around for governments to confiscate. All right, now let's get into... This one, we're not going to go directly into the news. Uh, I'm going to do a couple things first, and then we'll get into the news. Uh, yesterday, Rabenstein, or Rabenstein, I'm not exactly sure how he prefers it pronounced, released probably what is the most killer meme on the planet. No, I'm not going to describe it. I'm not. I'm not going to describe it. It's too good. If you really need to know what I'm talking about, you can always find the note that I put out last night on Noster that says, someone say something good about Ethereum so I can test something. What I wanted to have happen was immediately somebody to say something good about Ethereum so that I could put the rebuttal meme that Rabbitstein or Rabenstein built last night because it is a perfect response for anybody that you want to give the finger to. It is, it's, it's exquisite. And every time I look at it, it makes me laugh. And I will just watch it over and over and over again on a loop. And every time that I just see it in a, like if wherever it is that I see it, I'll watch it like two or three times on the loop. And it always makes me smile because it is absolutely perfect. So what happened with this little experiment? Well, it took like 15 minutes before I actually got somebody who felt comfortable saying something good about Ethereum. Let's see what happened. I got Bitcoins that says, ETH makes scams easy to identify. It's not what I was looking for. He also comes back with, ETH made Vitalik rich. It's not, not, not what I was looking for. It, it just wasn't. And then uh, the White Rabbit comes back and says, we are giving away 50 NFTs to the best comment below. It is backed up by the unstoppable ETH system. ETH is the future. Don't hesitate to participate. Now that almost, that was almost good. And I did, I did put the meme down below, but it didn't work because they put their own meme in there that says, and just like that, no one cared about NFTs. Again, not exactly what I was looking for. And then Aussie HB comes up with this one. I found some sweet Ethereum yesterday and turned that shit into Bitcoin today. Again, not quite what I was looking for. No, 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 no. It took almost a full 30 minutes for mine thine swine to come up with this one. ETH is good because it's a POS chain. Yes, that was acceptable. And that way, that was the one that, that made the most sense when I dropped the Rabenstein meme into uh, into the thread as a rebuttal it's perfect it worked it worked exactly like i thought it was going to work and now i can use this meme at will to anybody that says anything stupid ever again it's in all my meme folders i got it ready to roll this thing is my go-to give them the finger meme so just uh just 
go check out my my Noster profile. You can find uh, find that out in the show notes below all the articles that I do for the show. Uh, one last thing before we get into into the news, uh, guy, um, a guy got a hold of me. Oh shit! And I just turned off my browser for uh, for Noster. Let me see if I can get it back up here. Is that Ringo? Yeah, Ringo. <clears throat> Ringo sent me a DM yesterday, and I'm going to go ahead and read it because it's part of what I'm, I'm talking about a little bit here in a second. Hey, I wanted to give you a heads up that I just launched this. Would be good to have you over here. This is not copy pasta. I typed this all out. The only copy, copy pasta is here. Hey, y'all. Willtrade.org is up and running. What is it? It's a new community for barter and trade, skill trade for barter exchange, and for gifting. You can trade skills for stuff, donate skills, gift people things, exchange things for stuff you want, offer free stuff, etc., 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 and yes, it federates. Boost post, come sign up, and let's all stick it to the man. Work less, trade more, use the skills we already have to strengthen our communities, bettering all, and then he says, hope you're doing well, bro. So I'm like, will trade, barter site, huh, what's that shit all about? So I'm going to will trade, W-I-L-L trade.org. That's will trade, all one word, dot org. And you know what it looks like? It looks like Windows 3.0. I'm serious, man. It has the Windows 3.0 uh, thematic throughout this thing. And I haven't really, I haven't registered for it yet because I got this last night. I was working on something else. <coughs> Fighting the stupid cough that just refuses to go away as well. But it does look like somebody has built a barter platform. Um, we'll have to see how it goes. It, I don't know if this is built with Noster. I don't think so, but it's it's got a social media feel to it. Um, like the, I think this first one, uh, let me see if I got one here. Uh, Creek, Creekside Willie has offered up a memory card that he wasn't using and has been so kind enough to gift it. Oh, this is what it's all about, folks. In the spirit of gifting, uh, I'll gift a piece of Organite to the first three people that read this message, boost it, and get three people to join your site. Uh, you included makes four. Make sure you tell me who you got to join. Uh, okay. So we have a barter site. So go to willtrade.org. If you got something to barter, give it a shot. I, I mean, unless it, you know, like I said, I haven't really messed around with it, you know, so much. Uh, but if it does something like, you know, once your personal information, which I kind of doubt, but it's always possible because I haven't really looked at it myself very hard, then, you know, then choose not to use it. What Whatever your discretion is, but I don't think it'll hurt uh, to go at least check it out, see what's going on. If you got some stuff laying around the house that you think that you never use that other people might consider, consider trading it or barter, you know, bartering for something else could be cool. Could be real cool. Now, now we get into the news and yes, we're going to start off with Brocoin 20. Yeah, that's what I'm calling BRC dash uh, 20 uh, style tokens on Bitcoin. Hey, you got to figure it out. We, we got to know what's going on. No way to fight the enemy unless you know where the position is. Uh, Braden Lindria, Cointelegraph. Bitcoin ordinals daily inscriptions 
surge due to BRC20 tokens. Mm -hmm. I brought you what a BRC20 token was uh, last week. Uh, and now there looks like looks like the looks like it's got some grippage. I don't know. <clears throat> a new daily all-time high has been recorded for the number of ordinals inscribed on the Bitcoin network due to a recently launched token standard for the blockchain. Bitcoin ordinals reached 58,179 inscriptions on April the 2nd, smashing the previous all-time high of 31,692 on March the 9th by 83.5%, according to Dune Analytics data. The surge is believed to be driven by the recent creation of Bitcoin request for comment. Oh, that's what it is. Bitcoin request for comment. BRC20 tokens on the ordinals protocol by a pseudonymous on-chain analyst named Domo in early March. While ordinals are non-fungible tokens like digital artifacts, uh, which carry data in the form of text, JPEGs, images, uh, PDFs, video, and audio formats on the Bitcoin network. The ABROC20 token stand, uh, standard utilizes ordinal inscriptions to deploy token contracts, mint tokens, and transfer tokens, similar to shitcoin number one's ERC20 token standard. The arrival of ordinals and BRC20 tokens on Bitcoin were enabled by the Taproot soft fork, which took effect back on November the 14th, 2021. Over 55,000 of the inscriptions on April the 2nd came in the form of text-based ordinals, many of which were represented by BRC20 tokens, according to Leonidas.org, probably org, Leonidas.org, they misspelled it. The host of an ordinals-focused podcast, Leonidas explained in a tweet that the spike on April the 2nd came on the back of new tools used to interact with the BRC20 tokens launched in the last few days. Quote, there was a lot of excitement around BRC20 when it launched a month ago, but eventually the hype died down. During the lull, devs built tools to make interacting with BRC20 much easier, and now we're seeing all-time high interest. I've said it before, and I will say it again. UX matters. End quote. <clears throat> Among the new tools include includes Ord.io, Unisat Wallet, and BRC20.io. According to BRC20.io, 1,600 tokens have been created since the BRC20 standard was created. Oh, for God's sakes. Among the most popular of the BRC tokens uh, include Pepe, Ordi, and Punk, currently boasting respective market caps of 2.5 2.1 million and $900,000 respectively. Over 42,000 BRC20 tokens have been minted in the last 24 hours, mostly coming from the token uh, WZRD, Wizard, Domo, BAYC, Meme, and Pups. While the market cap of BRC20 tokens currently sits at less than $10 million, digital asset investment firm Galaxy Digital believes the Bitcoin NFT market may reach $4.5 billion by 2025. God help us all. Members of the Bitcoin community are still split on whether Ordinals is a good fit for the Bitcoin ecosystem. Proponents such as Dan Held suggest it offers more financial use cases on Bitcoin, while others say it's straying away from Satoshi Nakamoto's vision of Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer -peer cash system. That's the end of the article. Neither one of those arguments make any sense. No, they don't. They, they literally don't make any sense. And here's why. You, if it can be done on Bitcoin, then it's going to be done on Bitcoin. 
I would rather have this shit floating around than a hard fork. And a hard fork may very well happen. And I will, I do not know what, what, what'll happen after that. I suspect what, here's what'll happen. If a hard fork occurs and I get dumped on, I get, you know, a whole bunch of tokens dumped on me. Um, that equals the amount of Bitcoin that I already have in cold storage because that's the way a hard fork works. They'll take a snapshot of the ledger. And if you already hold, you know, some kind of Bitcoin on, on the ledger, when, uh, as of the day that they snapshot that shit, then you will get an equal amount of the hard fork tokens and it'll be up to you to claim it. Now, how do you claim it? See, that's, that's, a, I get, I think the real way that you would actually claim it is in a couple of ways. One, <coughs> whatever instructions they give to get into the wallet, because it'll probably have something to do with whatever your wallet address is to this date or on the date that they do the snapshot, you can open it up and look at it. I don't include that as claiming it. You have access to it, but that doesn't necessarily mean, in my opinion, and it is just my opinion that you've claimed it. If you move that shit from one wallet to another wallet address, that's when you claim it. And you would claim it even more if you sell that stuff immediately for Bitcoin. Then you've actually acted on the claim. And at that point, in either one of the two use cases that I just gave you, that's could be considered is well will be considered a taxable event. If you just look at it and you don't claim it, I don't think that it's necessarily a taxable event, but I'm not sure because I'm not a tax attorney. It, it, I do seem to remember that there is a form from the IRS in the United States that you can fill out that says that you give all the information about the asset in question and then you check a box that says, I do not claim this. I, I don't want it. You can have it. I don't know how it works. I've never seen the form. So don't quote me on it again. Not a tax attorney. If you want to find out, you know, you can go find out yourself. But if a hard fork does occur, I probably just won't do anything at all. You know, I'm, I may go look at it, I guess. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just saying I would rather have the ordinals and the inscriptions than a hard fork. I'm just, that's the God's honest truth. If it can be done on Bitcoin, if Bitcoin can be used for any use case, then it will be used for the use cases that it can be used for. So whether you like ordinals or you don't like ordinals is, is for me is a moot point. Can it be done and if it can, understand that it will be done. If you get that one through your head, you can probably not be so pissed off. Because if you're running around trying to think of how we're going to get rid of ordinals, you're just going to be running in circles. Because if Bitcoin can do a thing, it will do that thing. Think of it this way. Can you stop me from interacting with the Bitcoin protocol? Have you sat there and thought, and used your neurons and rubbed them together to start a little idea fire in your mind as to how you're going to force me to not be able to use Bitcoin, well, then you're in the same boat as the people that don't like ordinals to the point that they're actively rubbing their neurons together to figure out how the hell they're going to stop it. You're not. The Taproot protocol enabled it. Now, you can run uh, like ordinal disrespector as a version of your Bitcoin, like on your Bitcoin full node. They have that. 
it's it's actually available on my node BTC. I don't see what I don't honestly I don't see the point. It's you know at that point it's just kind of like a mini pruned node. It just won't contain that information. And if you feel the need, then do you know then do that. But for God's sakes, don't spin your wheels thinking that you're going to be able to figure out how to hard fork you know Bitcoin out of this because that's going to make an even bigger mess. Now on to this one. Stephen Graves and Liam Kelly from Decrypt.co says policymakers didn't regulate crypto because they thought it would essentially die, according to Barclays' head of digital policy. The latest uptick in regulatory action around the globe may be due to policymakers finally waking up to cryptocurrency's existence. In a recent panel at the City Digital Money Symposium in London, which touched on crypto regulations in the United Kingdom, Europe, and the United States, Barclays' head of digital policy, Nicole Sandler, argued that the apparent late arrival from policymakers was actually intentional. Quote, I think one certain, hold on, I think one thing certain policymakers have said is that they left this market to do what it wanted to do because they thought it would essentially die. And it hasn't died. It's grown, it's grown, it's grown, she said. The <clears throat> drawing from her experience back in 2016 when she discussed the legal framework around digital assets with the European Commission, Sandler argued that the space may have been nascent then, but it certainly isn't now, and again repeated that it's a nascent wasn't why regulators stayed away until recently. Quote, it wasn't that it was nascent and they couldn't regulate it. It was a choice to see where the market went, and now they know that they have to regulate it. But the problem is regulation takes a long time from start to finish, end quote. The regulatory crackdown has been especially fierce in the United States. Following the collapse of Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX empire in November, the Securities and Exchange Commission has taken swift and decisive action. After charging Bankman-Fried, the SEC also charged the exchange's crypto exchange's co-lead engineer, Nishad Singh, with defrauding investors. Still, insisted Sandler, the FTX collapse had nothing to do with the technology. And though regulations would have certainly helped, the exchange's downfall revolved primarily around a bad actor, she said, adding that the firm's terms and conditions didn't say you can take your client funds and use it for something other than what they've said, end quote. The commission has also gone after other crypto firms for different reasons. On March the 22nd, the SEC issued Coinbase a Wells notice informing the California-based exchange that it would be pursuing enforcement action against the company. The notice, alle notice alleged that Coinbase's staking products constituted unregistered securities. Source close to the matter told Decrypt that Coinbase leadership is frustrated that the SEC allowed American investors to participate in crypto for years before suddenly deciding to pull the rug out. The crypto community has been up in arms over the matter, taking aim at the SEC in particular. Quote, people don't like Gary Gensler, who's the chair of the SEC in the crypto space, said fellow panelist Gioma Akoli, the director of Digital Economy Initiative. Quote, but... If the people think back to about 10 years ago in the aftermath of the financial crisis, when the same man was the chair of the CFTC, the vast majority of the derivative sector, the global derivative sector, hated him. So it's not that he's picking on crypto. This is just his MO. That's the end of the article. Now, it just so happens that I got a nifty little, uh, I got a nifty little email from Coinbase last night at 9.37. It says, hello. 
We're reaching out to inform you that your access to Coinbase.com and the Coinbase app will be limited to only sending funds starting on April the 9th of this year, as we're disabling access for accounts that no longer meet our updated standards for these services. Your funds remain secure with us. No, they don't because I don't have anything with y'all. And you'll be able to send funds to other crypto wallets or services subject to standard network and transaction fees, including Coinbase Wallet. And then they go on to describe Coinbase Wallet. I have no idea what the hell's going on here. I, for as to the best of my knowledge, I deleted, I went through all the motions in Coinbase to get rid of my account, to close it down, to do everything. And I, because it was done five years ago, I can't really remember what that activity looked like. So, <clears throat> but it seems clear that all this time, I have it, I guess I have an account open with Coinbase. I don't know. I wanted to shut it down. So all I can remember is that I went to Coinbase with the intention to shut that thing down. I guess it's not shut down. I don't know. Everything is drained out of it though, because I did that five years ago, probably longer than that. In, in either event, I'm not sure what this, this email is actually saying. Um, I'll be able to send, uh, I will be limited to only sending funds. Well, sending funds to who? Can I send funds to Coinbase and still buy altcoins and, and Bitcoin? And can I trade? Or I guess I can't. Maybe that's what it is. I can't trade. What I'm getting at here is that they have a corporate communications manager. Right? There is a chief communications officer at Coinbase. And they cannot write a paragraph that really clearly spells out what the hell's going on here. I have to infer and interpret. And you don't want to give your customers a bunch of words to read that they could interpret falsely or incorrectly. It needs to be clearly written, lined out, so that I know as a former customer of Coinbase exactly what the hell's going on and none of this email is successful at doing that. It's embarrassing to see somebody who gets paid as much as the chief communications officer gets paid not be able to execute on a simple freaking email. That's how bad Coinbase is. That's how bad Coinbase is. So if you got your Coinbase... <coughs> your Coinbase email, you should react vehemently, literally by just taking your all your Bitcoin off of that exchange. <laughs> just saying, whatever. Germany's second largest stock exchange to enable institutional Bitcoin trading through a subsidiary, Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. Boris Stuttgart Digital, a subsidiary of the second largest stock exchange in Germany, has received the final license as a cryptocurrency custodian from Germany's financial regulator, BaFin. The license allows the exchange to provide institutional investors the ability to trade Bitcoin on the platform as well as to act as a custodian. The exchange has been offering custody services through its BlockNox platform since January 2020 under a provisional license. With the new licensing, it will join the ranks of several major international firms officially entering into the Bitcoin custodial and trading industry as of late. 
Fidelity opened their Bitcoin trading platform to the public this month, allowing institutional investors the option to hold their Bitcoin with them as well. In addition to that, Latin America's largest e-commerce platform by market value, Mercado Libre, introduced Bitcoin trading to their Chilean users, which were already available in Brazil. It should be noted that all of these platforms bear the risks associated with third-party custody of your Bitcoin. The safest way to ensure your Bitcoin is always accessible and always available is through what, ladies and gentlemen? Self-custody using a dedicated Bitcoin wallet. Platforms like Bourse, Stuttgart Digital, and Fidelity have made Bitcoin trading available to investors on these platforms, but do not necessarily further enable the true potential of Bitcoin adoption. So another one, stepping into the fray. See, and this is what's odd. With with Gary Gensler running around shooting people in the back of the head, you know, from behind buildings and, and from behind cars in secret, we've got Germany's Bohr Stuttgart Digital uh, going to enter the fray. Did, I, you know, it seems weird. So here's what I think is happening is that it's sort of like that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark at the very front of the movie where our hero, Indiana Jones, is standing in front of the pedestal with a golden idol on it. He's got a bag of sand in his hand and he's trying to figure out how much this thing weighs because there's a, it's sitting on what is most likely a pressure plate. And if he removes it, that pressure plate is going to activate a trap. So he's trying to figure it out. And then finally, at the very end, he he knocks over the golden idol and leaves the sandbag in place in the same motion. It was actually kind of elegant. However, he got it wrong, and of course it triggered the trap. But I think that that's what, what these people are doing is they're trying, they are the bag of sand. And they're trying to replace this golden idol that is shit coinery on exchanges with leverage and getting your ass in a hole and having to you know mortgage your house four times and and risk losing your family because you just you're just that lazy and you just want that kind of easy money whatever they want to replace that golden idol with their own bag of sand that tells me that they're not interested in getting rid of this shit like we like a lot of people think that they're trying to get rid of they want to control it they have no intention of getting rid of this stuff that's my opinion of course i i could be wrong but when you've got Gary Gensler running around shooting people in the back of the head, you know, in like he's sneaking around and all of a sudden he sends, shoots a Wells notice at, Coin, at Coinbase. And then this very European regulated company decides to step in. That means they're not afraid of Gary Gensler. They're not afraid of Boffin. And Boffin is not afraid of getting a phone call by Gary Gensler saying, hey, what are you guys doing over there? You know, don't do this. All of these people, they want to control and regulate the space. They don't want to get rid of it. To them, it's an opportunity to steal more money from you. Now, going down south, El Salvador removes all taxes related to tech innovation for economic growth. Arjit Sarkar Coin Telegraph. I've reported on this once before, but this is out of April the 1st, so it seems that something has changed a little bit. Let's find out. El Salvador, the first country to establish Bitcoin as legal tender, has decided to eliminate all taxes on technology innovations. The move runs parallel to establishing the National Bitcoin Office of El Salvador, also known as the Bitcoin Office. 
when legalizing Bitcoin, Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele saw the technology as a means to counter hyperinflation and dependence on the United States dollar. Over the past 18 months, El Salvador re-strategized Bitcoin investments and utilized capital gains in numerous instances to rebuild the nation. Moving ahead with the strategy, Bukele believed in winding down tax requirements to expedite technological development. And as promised, on April the 1st, Bukele officially sent a bill to Congress effectively eliminating all income, property, and capital gains taxes on technology innovations such as software programming, coding, apps, and AI development, as well as compute and communications hardware manufacturing. Supporting this initiative is the establishment of the Bitcoin office, a regulatory body for conducting joint initiatives with Bitcoin entrepreneurs and companies. According to Association Bitcoin de El Salvador, or otherwise known as the Bitcoin Association of El Salvador, ONBTC aims to position the country in the world as a technological and economic power, and it looks like they're going to do it. In addition to attempting a financial comeback, Bukele's ongoing efforts to reinvent El Salvador including, includes promoting tourism, countering terrorism, and building regional business hubs, at the start of 2023, El Salvador passed legislation providing a legal framework for Bitcoin-backed bonds, otherwise known as volcano bonds. Uh, and then they go on a little bit more about volcano bonds. But the, here's what, here's the deal. We, we heard that this was going to happen. But now he's actually sent this thing in. Okay. And he's, Bukele officially sent a bill to Congress effectively eliminating all income. So I'm supposing that this means that the president himself told everybody he was going to do it, and now he's actually done it, but it does seem like Congress has to ratify it or somehow or another give Bukele their stamp of approval before this can be done. What do you think the chances are that this will be passed? I think that the chances are pretty high because the outcome of such a thing if they're not being if they're not being scandalous if they're actually telling the truth then it makes someone like me more likely to consider moving to El Salvador to do business but we'll have to see first if Congress actually puts their stamp of approval on it and second whether or not Bukele's lying through his teeth because I still don't know if I trust him I don't know if I'll ever trust him we're just gonna have to see now the Behavioral Economics of Bitcoin. This is written by Rich Feldman, and we begin. Behavioral economics has long been cited to describe our irrational tendencies as consumers and investors. I'm here to extend that discussion specifically to Bitcoin because, let's face it, when it comes to crypto in general, and Bitcoin specifically, the influence of emotions, biases, heuristics, and social pressure is shaping our preferences, beliefs, and behaviors is profound and fascinating. As is preached in behavioral finance, investing is in, in anything is prone to common traps such as fear of missing out, loss aversion, groupthink, and the sunk cost fallacy, which account for people holding on to their investments longer than they should. Cognitive journeys such as these are nicely demonstrated in the chart below, which ironically was created by Credit Suisse. <laughs> in light of recent events, perhaps it should have been wary of overreach bias, but let's not kick it while it's down. And they show this, they show this graph that a lot of us have seen 
Um, yeah, a lot of us have seen, except it's <coughs> it's reworded a little bit. But you've, I guarantee you've seen this thing. Concepts of behavioral finance and Bitcoin certainly have interesting parallels. For example, FOGI, not the old type, or fear of getting in. Chalk that up to a nascent trading mar marketplace, which can be incredibly confusing and for many require a technological leap of faith. Yet, anyone who thinks this is a new phenomenon need only look at the launch of online banking, bill pay, and mobile deposits to know that there is hesitancy around every consumer foray into new technologies, particularly as they evolve. And as such, FOGI paralyzes the crypto curious from making the behavioral moves, aka learning and discovery, required to actually participate in the asset class. Moreover, recency bias can certainly help explain much of the gyrations of the Bitcoin ecosystem. With so many major advances, disruptions, and seizures capturing headlines seemingly every day, it's no surprise that this irrational tendency to assume that recent events will all but certainly repeat themselves can easily be associated with the volatility that can seem ever-present. With access to a 24-hour marketplace, this is only exacerbated, amplifying the peak-end rule in which the most recent and intense positive or negative events, or peaks, weigh most heavily in how we remember how certain things were experienced, thus having the potential for undue influence on near-future decisions, temporal discounting, and the YOLO effect. But all of these biases and heuristics that I think help explain the mainstream perception of Bitcoin today is temporal discounting, which is our tendency to perceive a desired result in the future as less valuable than one in the present. That is most prescient. Add on to that the YOLO effect, you only live once, hedonism and future blindness to the mix, and you've got a powerful crypto cocktail, and here's why. <coughs> it's human nature for those who say, I can't, I can't see where this is going, particularly those in the there's no there there camp to, to not try to envision what it, what, where it's going. Focused on the present, they look to frame something that exists solely based on what they can identify, interpret, and internalize now. These are the same types of folks who, when cell phones were first introduced, asked, why do I need this? They simply couldn't foresee mobile technology lifting developing nations, becoming central to an entire payments industry, fundamentally altering telecommunications, and so on. This is not to disparage these people. Temporal discounting is commonplace. In fact, you can chalk this phenomenon up to the woeful rate of retirement savings among a wide swath of the population an inability to imagine the future, or simple disinterest in doing so leads to a desire to create shortcuts in understanding and explaining the why. Combined with the illusion of control heuristic or belief that we have more control over the world than we actually do. There's no appetite for a leap of faith or trust that in the technology, there is a world of promise. The old new technology narrative Another interesting psychological perspective can be summed up this way. Bitcoin was introduced to the world in January 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto. At that point, it was a groundbreaking revolutionary idea, but now there are literally thousands of blockchain protocols and projects, many of which, of which have leaped 
surpassed Bitcoin in their utility and promise. Or put another way, Bitcoin is old, new technology, a form of the availability heuristic. It captures our tendency to bias information that we conjure up quickly and easily to frame an opinion. Proponents of this point of view will point to Bitcoin's rejection of the proof-of-stake consensus mechanism, a centralization of mining power, and smaller developer community compared to others. Opponents of this view have a laugh. (laughs) 14 years is hardly old. The technology has withstood the test of time rather admirably compared to others, and innovation on the blockchain continues to march forward with cross-chain bridges, ordinals, the Lightning Network, etc., In fact, it's Bitcoin's stability, permanence, and security that has kept it at the forefront of this emerging ecosystem. And in short, when you're first, you're inevitably compared to what? Everything. You're compared to everything. The inflation hedge confirmation bias. For quite some time, their narrative around Bitcoin as an investment was that it was, quote, a hedge against inflation. Digital gold, if you will. Many would argue that this prevailing wisdom has been debunked, at least for now. In reality, what it is and should have always been viewed as as, is a hedge against systematic institutional failure. After all, the very idea of Bitcoin was born out of a prior financial crisis. As of this writing, when banks like Silicon Valley Bank, Credit Suisse, and Silvergate have come under extreme duress, Bitcoin is showing its mettle. That the inflation hedge narrative took off in such a big way is an example of confirmation bias or our our tendency to favor existing beliefs. That the original raison d'etre for Bitcoin was shoved aside by some can be attributed to optimism bias. People simply continue to underestimate the possibility of experiencing negative events. And even if there isn't a catastrophic systemic implosion, the mere potential of one opens the door to give this new store value a new footprint. Bit bias. When it comes to Web3, crypto, blockchains, and Bitcoin, I can can admit to having a bit bias. That can be chalked up to a belief that the fundamental attributes of Bitcoin technology, decentralization, self-custody, ownership, and control, will morph in ways we cannot fully comprehend today. Put another way, if you think there's no there there, perhaps it's because you just can't imagine what the there could be. Irrational? Let's talk 10 years from now. This, I love this piece. (coughs) Because I have always believed that there is pretty much nothing but psychology in the markets. And I think that the, I think psychology becomes more and more entrenched in market activity as more and more financial instrumentation is developed, i.e. CDOs, uh, mortgage-backed security bonds, uh, credit default swaps. I mean, none of these actually do anything. I mean, you'd argue that, but they don't actually do anything. They're just these instrumentations that have been developed over the years. And as more and more of them come in, there's more and more granularity for people to be scared, optimistic, frightful. Their emotions have an outlet every single time one of these instrumentations is developed and deployed in the legacy financial markets. And we've got thousands of them. 
Let's be honest. It's like it's like the Earth's upper atmosphere being polluted with space junk. It's shit is everywhere. To the point that now it's actually falling back down to Earth. And thank God nobody's been hit on the head by it, or at least yet, or at least none that I know of. But I asked Greg, was it, it was either Greg, I think it was Greg Foss. I was on Adam, oh, I can't, he hasn't been on in so long, I've forgotten his name. Not um, Adam, he was part of the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin group back in the day, a long, long, long time ago. And he went out on his own and I was on a show like, I don't know, about four, four or five times. One time I asked, I think it was Greg Foss. It may, may have been somebody. No, it was Bitcoin Tina. That's who it was. And I asked him directly. I was like going, when I look at a chart, like of Exxon or Texaco or the Dow or, or NASDAQ or whatever, I go, what I see is human psychology in a hive mind scale. And he, Bitcoin team just looked at me and he's like, what? Psychology, what are you talking about? And so I knew immediately that either one of two things happened at that moment. Bitcoin Tina isn't as good as I think Bitcoin Tina is, or I've got it wrong. I don't think I do. And I still like Bitcoin Tina. And he's always going to just rake me over the coals if we were to go head to head on trading securities and equities. Okay, he's just going to beat me every time. But I still think I'm right. I still think that when I'm looking at a chart, I'm actually looking not at the price of the thing, but of the hive mind sentimentality of the human species in toto. And that that is being allowed to filter into the markets because of all the instrumentation that we've allowed to come online in the decades and centuries and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And I think this is a great piece to probably read a couple of different times so that we understand what kinds of psychology are impacting Bitcoin as we see it today. But in the meantime, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities surprises me because on the right-hand side where they have all the news stories that are quote-unquote trending now, you know what isn't mentioned? A one, was it a half million or is it? No, it's a one million barrel per day production cut announced yesterday by OPEC. We knew that the French bought 65,000 pounds of liquefied natural gas or tons or carrot. A whole shit ton. France bought a whole shit ton of liquefied natural gas from Saudi Arabia in Chinese yuan. So even the French are are basically bailing on using the petrodollar. And like, and then of course OPEC cuts production by a million barrels per day, which is going to screw Europe in ways that Europe thought that they, if Europe thought that they couldn't get screwed anymore with energy, it just happened. What are the effects? West Texas Intermediate up 6.33% to $80.47 a barrel. Britain North Sea likewise up 6.13% to $84.79. Natural gas doing exactly what you expect natural gas to do. It's down almost a full six percentage points to $2.09. Gasoline, however, 
Going to sock it to you. 2.8% points to the upside. $2.75 a gallon. Uh, Shiny metal rocks are having a bad day. Well, gold's doing well. 1.06% to the upside. $2,007.20. Silver is down scant. Platinum is down a half a point. Copper's down one and a quarter point. Palladium is down 1.06 points. Uh, ag is <laughs> ag is mixed. Our biggest loser today is going to be chocolate at 2.39% to the downside. Biggest winner is coffee, 3.14% to the upside. And I really wish I understood livestock futures so I could read them to you. I don't know what it means that live cattle is down three quarters of a point to $160.97. Lean hogs down 0.7% to $74.72. FD cattle, which I'm not sure what that means. And I should, I know I should. Any of you guys out there that know what the hell this is, please chastise me via Boostagram and uh, tell me what the hell this stuff actually means. But FD cattle is down 1.11% to 202 and 97 cents. Indices, yay, oh boy. Dow is up 0.7%. S&P is up 0.07%. And NASDAQ is down 0.8%. S&P mini is likewise down, but only by a quarter of a percentage point. Real money. Oh man, stop doing that stuff. I'm getting so tired of bit info charts losing my track. It keeps wanting to show me like 17 different crap coins, and I just don't want to do it. Bitcoin is at $28,100.20. Uh, that is after, what, 264,000 BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours. Um, Hold on for a sec. Sorry about that interruption. My throat is really dry. And I'm, I'm drinking liquid and, and the whole ball of wax, but man, there's something in the air up here that I've never experienced before in a spring, but it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> we have 0.7 BTC as the average transaction value, a median transaction value, which is really low, 0.004 BTC or about 115 bucks. Block times are slightly low, 9 minutes and 52 seconds. 0.18 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 26.31 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours. With a 3.82% drop in hash rate, we're still at 339.25 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is doge as usual. 7.7 United States pennies. So yeah, it's not coming up alongside of Bitcoin like it used to. I think people are losing their their appetite for this crap. Now over to Clark Moody, a dashboard. We got $541.7 billion of market capitalization. That is 4.1% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 14.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,335,936.96 of. 5,397.9 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $147.7 million being run over 16,368 nodes sporting 74,566 payment channels and 67.4% of all of it's being run over Tor. Uh, there is a 1.6% difficulty uh, change coming up on April the 6th, 2023. 
now mempool, and I'm just going to start using mempool.space for this. There are uh, roughly 20,000 transactions waiting on, I don't know, about 100 blocks to clear. Uh, everything, no, nothing is being purged. Uh, the memory usage in most mempools uh, that allow it are up to 405 megabytes. So there should be some purging going on, but I'm not seeing mempool.space with its purge notification. Uh, low priority transactions are selling for 15 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority transactions are selling for 25. That's going to cost you about a buck for a SegWit transaction without any funny business, like a shit ton of signatures and like loaded with data and stuff like that. If it's just a normal transaction, probably going to pay about a buck main chain fees. And that's going to be the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. I have boostograms from show 695 PTAR with Road Ducks 2,222 Satoshis. The fact that even after all these years, I still can't name one use case for shitcoin number one, creating other scams is not a use case. That tells you a lot. <laughs> uh, JC Denton with 2,100 Satoshi says, we do have flying cars. They're called helicopters. Nick underscore dose 1,369 sat says, cheers. Fatoshi with a straight up 1,000 Satoshi says, BRC. Who remembers XCP? Hell, even I don't remember XCP. Fatoshi, please tell me. Tell us all what XCP is, preferably through a boostergram. Coin laughs with 695 Satoshi says, hordinals. W-H-O-R-D-I-N. ALS. I'll give him a whirl. Whirl denials. I love it. Blizza with a 420 says first boost. Nice. Thank you. Let's see if I got anything from the other show from Restrict This episode 694. Ooh, I do. Uh eight oh boobs at 8008 says Shaz. Pitar with a row of ducks says, I also have a tendency to attribute malice to that which most people brush off as coincidence. Credulity is hard-coded into us, and we can use that to our advantage. Thank you. Nick underscore Doe says, cheers. NW with a row of sticks, that's 1,111 sat, says, talking about the bill to fund the SEC, if $2.4 billion can fund 170 employees, that's $14 million per employee. God almighty. Gig with 311. Bitcoin plebs feeling like wolverines from Red Dawn. Yep, no shit. Fatoshi 101 says, boost baby. Bitgus with 100 Satoshis says, I am for Bitcoin and my friend is for Ethereum. His argument is, what happens when all the Bitcoin is mined as the miners won't be able to collect a reward anymore? What is your response to this? I constantly tell him that he's full of shit, love the show, keep it up, uh, Fatoshi actually responded to that, uh, says sink or swim, baby. Uh, Christian underscore farmer 67 with the last 100 sat says great information. Going back to Bitgus, <clears throat> what do you tell somebody about the end of, uh, the end of the sub, uh, subsidy, which is the Bitcoin reward, which I write right now is at what? 6.25, uh, Bitcoin per block, uh, fees. It has to be fees. It can't. There's no other mechanism, not internal 
not internal to Bitcoin. Sure, somebody can wrapper something around Bitcoin, I suppose. And we've seen wrappers before and don't assume that it's just a token wrapper. I'm talking about wrapping the whole goddamn system into something like, I don't know, a mining derivative, a mining-backed security bond that has, uh, when those don't sell, the, what the remainder goes into a collateralized debt obligation. And all of that shit is insured by what? Credit default swaps. Those are wrappers. Those are derivatives. Don't think for a second that it may not happen that somebody figures out a way to wrapper around subsidy for Bitcoin in the future. But I, I wouldn't, I don't prescribe to that, to that notion. I think that that's a bad idea, but it, it probably, it probably will happen. Um, but internal to Bitcoin and the mechanism of Bitcoin itself does not allow for anything to provide an incentive for miners to continue mining except fees. When, and it will happen, when the subsidy goes away somewhere around 2140, then there will be literally no Bitcoin mined as part, or the subsidy will not be given. And the only thing that miners will have to show for their effort will be transaction fees. That's it. That's it. I think it'll be enough. I think a good solid fee market will, will you know, develop because we've got, you know, eh, before it becomes like, you know, like let's say over the next 25 years, we're going to lose quite a bit of subsidy. Just because I say 2140 doesn't necessarily mean that like, you know, somebody's going to be still jamming, you know, half a Bitcoin. No, they're going to be getting like the fraction a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of Bitcoin as the subsidy, most of the income is going to come out of fees. Is it possible that the fee market does not develop? Yes, anything's possible. Is it possible that whatever does develop out of a fee market is not enough to sustain minor interest? Absolutely, that's possible. It's all possible. And I'm not going to to subscribe to the doomer notion that, well, since we're all going to die anyway, I don't really care. I do care about what happens beyond 2140. I have no control over it whatsoever. What can you do? Continue to buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and use Bitcoin if you can. And my first use case at this point of on-chain transactions, aside from buying a whole car or a whole house or land, I will gladly use the on-chain mechanism of Bitcoin to do those transactions because those are big transactions. I want to make sure they're secure. I don't want to buy a house over the Lightning Network. I feel funny about that. I probably shouldn't, but I do. And I'm going to go with that. But for buying coffee, lunch, hamburgers, beers with friends at bars, I'm going to use the Lightning Network, which takes me to another a fourth use case that I listed about using an on-chain transaction, and that is to open and close Lightning Network channels. That is going to happen a lot. And I think that opening those channels and closing those channels will easily be half of Bitcoin on-chain transactions by the time 2140 comes up. So that's what you can tell your friend. When the subsidy goes away, the sub, as the subsidy gently drains away over time to 2140, fees will replace that which is lost with the subsidy going and disappearing slowly over time. Fees will go up in time slowly 
as the subsidy decreases. And if we're really lucky, it'll equal itself out. And that fees will just basically in commonplace get you enough Bitcoin that you can pay your staff, make money on the side, do all your maintenance and do all the stuff. And that Bitcoin miners will continue to be Bitcoin miners. Now, this is probably something no one wants to hear. We're going to talk about Jason Lowry. Yeah, Air Force boy. I, I know, I know. But there's a lesson here. I'm not sure exactly where, but I guarantee there's a lesson here somewhere. Decrypt.co, Andre Bagansky. Bitcoin thesis becomes Amazon best seller. Do you have any idea what it means to be an Amazon bestseller? Does anybody here have any freaking clue how many books that actually boils down to? It's a lot. It's a lot. Let's find out what the thesis is. For many readers, a graduate thesis doesn't sound like a page turner, but a lengthy academic paper on Bitcoin written by a United States Space Force major has emerged as a popular pick on Amazon. Soft War, the book, asserts that Bitcoin has the potential to play a major role on the world's geopolitical stage as a military-grade solution for securing information far different than the monetary use Bitcoin's network is today. Written by Jason Lowry, the report represents the culmination of academic research he conducted at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology during a six-month fellowship sponsored by the Department of Defense. The full title of the piece is Soft War, a novel theory on power projection and the national strategic significance of Bitcoin. End quote, or rather end title. Lowry's brief biography on Amazon claims that he has advised several senior United States officials on Bitcoin-related policy in offices related to the President, Secretary of Defense, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Part side of the book. Joint Chiefs of Staff. Though software doesn't place within the top 500 books on Amazon store, Lowry's exploration of Bitcoin has hovered around the number one spot in Amazon's digital currencies, oh God, category, and is currently ranked second in both books on technology as well as engineering. The more than 350 page tome draws on knowledge from various fields such as anthropology and computer science to establish and explore Lowry's power projection theory. Essentially, Lowry posits that the proof-of-work system underlying Bitcoin transaction verification can be leveraged by military powers to impose restrictions on bad actors in a non-lethal through a steep amount of physical work in the form of crunching numbers. It's a bad sentence. Quote, the bottom line is that Bitcoin could represent a software or electro-cyber defense protocol, not merely a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, the book states. Quote, while most software can only logically constrain computers, Bitcoin can physically constrain computers, end quote. The book's acknowledgement section gives a nod to some of Bitcoin's most faithful, including MicroStrategies, Michael Saylor, and Peter McCormick. What? Whatever. In his paper, Lowry also writes that insufficient reserves of Bitcoin held on behalf of the United States government could pose a threat to the nation's national security if the network becomes utilized as a cybersecurity tool. Quote, if the United States does not consider stockpiling strategic Bitcoin reserves 
or at the very least encouraging Bitcoin adoption, the United States could forfeit a strategically vital power and set itself back in global power dominance, he said. Given that Lowry's thesis was published in February and the United States announced that it sold $215 million in seized Bitcoin last month, perhaps not every Fed is on the same page. The book also included a disclosure that states the paper is not reflective of any official position held by DOD, Air Force, or MIT. Out of the more than 200 ratings software has received on Amazon, the majority gave the book five stars. But a few reviews say that Lowry's text is lacking due to too much wishful thinking, arguments based on opinion, and quotes from The Matrix that detract from the seriousness of the topic. All right, so if you guys have not heard about Flyboy or Space Boy, as he's also called, and Military Boy, and I've heard him called a lot of names. I don't, I honestly don't kind of, I kind of don't have an opinion on Jason himself. I always thought it was kind of an interesting take, but it just seems so one-sided to me just to say that, you know, this is a military weapon. I've always described it as a defensive weapon. For the first time in the history of humanity, we have a way to defend our wealth as a, a defensive weapon. But Jason kind of looks at this as an offensive weapon as well as a defensive weapon, and I'm not sure I agree. However, everybody has been lambasting this, this dude, Jason Lowry, for months and months and months on end, ever since he wrote this particular piece and released it, released it on, of all things, LinkedIn. And it made the rounds. It went viral. Everybody, I, I never read it myself because I was like, ah, don't give a shit. But he started becoming like it, it, it made his career, I guess. It, his Bitcoin career was off and running while the rest of us are still stuck drinking swamp water, which is fine. I, I would rather honestly be here sucking swamp water than having slings and arrows just catapulted at me. But I mean, he's, you know, his, his, it's, it's selling. Now, the, the clickbaity decrypt headline made it sound like it was like in the top 10 of Amazon books online. And then they came clean and said that it wasn't, that it was in technology and it was like number 500 on the best-selling list. Still, though, that's enough to make a, a decent amount of cash. So say what you want about Jason. Eh, he was able to make something out of it. And I got to give him that. I still don't agree with his thesis, but I haven't really read it now, have I? Which makes me what? A hypocrite. Because I'm saying I don't agree with something that I haven't even read. But on the surface, I have to say that using Bitcoin as an offensive weapon, I don't think is the right thing. And then we come to my central thesis of Bitcoin. If it can be done on or with Bitcoin, it will be done on or with Bitcoin. Let's move on to Texas. Texas is Bitcoin country with or without the United States. James Collins, Bitcoin Magazine. We encourage it, we advance it. But I would say we provide the platform for those involved in Bitcoin to make sure that they have a place to come to, end quote. The above words spoken by Texas Governor Greg Abbott are a clear reminder of the sheer power hidden within the varying components of Bitcoin that allow the system to organically steer a state or nation into a realm of independence and ethical fiduciary responsibilities for its citizenry. 
Combining the American spirit of the shot heard round the world in 1775 and remember the Alamo in 1836, Texas has an opportunity to obtain absolute state independence through mathematical independence thanks to the block heard round the world in 2009. This is my analysis of the characteristics of Texas, the effect of historic events, and how, through Bitcoin, Texas can become completely sovereign. The Lone Star State. Texas is one of the most fascinating states in the Union, starting with the Texas Revolution's use of the come-and-take-it flag as an emboldened and outnumbered Texan rebel group won the Battle of San Jacinto to claim Texas independence, the state has always had a spirit of freedom. Texas then became the Republic of Texas, electing Sam Houston as its first president and proudly flying the Lone Star flag representing itself as its own country. By 1846, Texas had been annexed by the United States and used as a beachhead for the westward expansion of the United States, culminating in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hildago and the United States payment of $15 million to Mexico for large swaths of western territory. Texas would later secede from the United States in 1861 and side with the Confederacy during the United States Civil War. As he attempted to wrangle Southern independence, Abraham Lincoln clearly fell under monetary duress. A supposed quote from Lincoln may have described his feelings. Quote, I have two great enemies, the Southern army in front of me and the bankers in the rear. Of the two, the one at my rear is my greatest foe. End quote. To address these problems, Lincoln issued credit-based money in the greenback to finance war spending. In essence, what this brief history lesson points out is two things. One, polarization between states can lead to events that affect all states negatively. Two, private issuance of currency has been a thorn in the side of states as they attempt to act more independently of the federal government and can lead to greater centralization. <coughs> Excuse me. So, with the fracturing of state ideologies today, is Texas primed to embrace a new, neutral, and peaceful way of expressing its independent spirit and desires to keep its citizenry prosperous? We come to the age of self-sovereignty. The age of individual self-sovereignty is upon us thanks to Bitcoin, and it can mean the emergence of a way to solidify and express states' rights. Texas has a history of self-reliance and the promotion of individual freedom. Its ethos forms the perfect peanut butter and jelly combination with Bitcoin's open, permissionless, decentralized monetary protocol. As such, Texas seems the most ready to absorb the economic reality that such a financial network promises, one that means you cannot step between users and their money in a forceful manner and that, if threatened, would see these users pick up and leave, bringing their economic power with them. The state's embrace of this economic shift can be understood through the continued increase in Bitcoin mining in Texas the passage of House Bill 1576, and the current plan for an El Salvador embassy in Texas. In addition, Texas is the largest energy producer in the United States. This advantage is of material importance, as seen with the influx and continued growth of Bitcoin mining in the state after the Chinese mining ban in 2021. Texas will surely continue leveraging its ethos and energy production to drive further Bitcoin mining activity. It may soon use Bitcoin as a treasury reserve asset to leverage its guaranteed decoupling from an unstable world, driving local infrastructure development and upgrades to continue Bitcoin mining. 
The outcomes to those actions would bleed into other state economic sectors to supercharge benefits to its citizenry, further incentivizing more interest in productive state population immigration. In conclusion, throughout history, states have been dragged into devastating wars, at least partly due to their inability to operate their state economies how it sees fit. The ability of all states to make decisions that best serve their citizenries lies in their ability to control their own economic destiny, which starts with money. Bitcoin has flourished due to the ethos in Texas since its inception, and its continued flourishing gives Texas the ultimate hedge. It allows the state to continue as a vital driver of national economic activity and help the United States stay ahead in the rapidly changing 21st century, or at worst, ultimately secede and form the northern border of a massive orange economic zone that could stretch throughout Latin America and down to El Salvador. Texas, via its historic ethos of independence and self-reliance, has flourished alongside the open, permissionless, decentralized monetary network of Bitcoin. The further infusion of Bitcoin into all aspects of the Texas economy will allow it to stand tall as a beacon of economic freedom when humanity needs it most. Yeehaw, Texas. I love that state. Born there, raised there, and at one point or another, my, some of my ashes will be spread there because I am going to be burned in a Viking boat, on a pyre, in, on Middle Mountain in Colorado, and then ashes are instructed by my family to be spread at each of the places that I've lived. And of course, because I'm burned on the hill in, you know, Middle Mountain in Colorado, I will forever be part of that valley in either event. Yeehaw for Texas. Secession, I hope. And the reason is because like everybody hates it when I say that because they think that I'm not being patriotic. I am. The patriotism of the United States of America no longer resides and has not resided in Washington, D.C. for well over 100 years. It resides in the citizenry of the states. State first, nation second. Without the states, there is no nation, right? Without the nation, states can still exist as their own countries. We can form relationships with each other. What I recommend... What I hope to see is that the United States federal government is basically rescinded altogether by the immediate secession of every state in the union, and then a recombination of the states that want to come back into that union, and hopefully it'll be all 50, you know, 50 of them, and maybe this will be a chance for us to release Puerto Rico and not have it be a vassal state anymore. But be that as it may, all 50 states to come back together and say, let's try this shit again and have a, you know, like a constitutional Congress, which may not be the best idea, but we've got to do something about the, the yahoos up in Washington. And the only way to do it is you're, if you're thinking that, well, we'll just vote them out. Has it worked? No, it hasn't worked. The guy voted in or the gal voted in is just as bad as the person you voted out. And it's just this endless revolving door of crap. No, 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 no. Every state needs to break away from the federal government, not secede from the union, secede from the federal government. But the only mechanism that we have to do that 
is by full secession from the United States of America. And that's actually not in the Constitution as far as I know. You have to go to, to the individual states. Texas does have a provision to be able to do that, although the more left-leaning Texas historians will tell you that it's it's not exactly that way. Well, of course, because you're basically a mouthpiece for the United States federal government, but whatever, I, I don't care. I mean, essentially what happens is this. New, New Mexico decides they're just done. Let's not even talk about Texas. New Mexico, poor ass New Mexico. And they are economically poor folk. And they just said, we're done. What are you going to do? Are you really going to send the United States Army to invade New Mexico? I mean, yes, we did it in, in the Civil War. I get that part. But they had the ability to say, but look, we're free and slaves. They weren't really doing the Patriot part. They weren't spitting this as, oh my God, oh my God, we've got to go do this because we've got to keep the Union whole. No, no, no. They did this. The, the Civil War occurred and the narrative was slavery. Slavery first and then keeping the Union whole. But that's an easy, that's an easy narrative to sell. Slavery's bad. It just is. You can't make an argument to me that says slavery in some cases is okay. It's not. But nobody's enslaving anybody right now except the United States federal government enslaving its citizenry to give tribute to Washington, D.C. in the form of taxes and whether or not we can get on TikTok. I mean, it's insane. This shit's got to stop. And I, I think this is a good way to stop it. We get all the governors and they start having their own... They're a, a completely different governor's convention. And that other people in the states are invited to go to that convention. For citizenry, house, uh, house or state representatives, state senators, they all get to go. We all get to make friends with each other again and shake hands with people in Idaho and Washington and Ohio and, I don't know, Minnesota and say, look, we all got to get, we all got to kick these guys out of office. So, how about we form handshakes that go across borders and those handshakes represent tight trade deals with other states and that cohesiveness, those trade deals, keep the country together while we figure out what to do after Biden figures out that he doesn't really represent a nation anymore. Clean, clean as a whistle. Oh, hell no, messy as shit. But at one point or another, something's got to give, guys. Something has to give. Now, Blockware Solutions. They have launched an ASIC marketplace to simplify Bitcoin mining access. Maybe this will be something that, that Texas does. Who knows? BTC, KC, Bitcoin Magazine. Blockware Solutions, a professional Bitcoin mining services company, has announced the public launch of its Blockware Marketplace. The new platform has been operating in stealth mode with only existing Blockware clients, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, and the total trading volume has already reached about $100,000, mostly within the last two weeks. According to the announcement, the Blockware Marketplace is a product that brings transparency and turnkey mining to a whole new level by allowing anyone to buy an ASIC using either on-chain Bitcoin or Lightning. Users can also see its historical and live hash rate before purchasing. 
Customers will be able to start earning Bitcoin mining rewards in minutes, making it easier and more accessible for people to participate in the mining industry. Quote, we think this has the potential to transform the mining industry as now anyone can buy an ASIC on-chain or lightning, see its historical and live hash rate before purchasing, and be earning BTC mining rewards within minutes, said Joe Burnett, head analyst at Blockware. The Blockware marketplace is designed to simplify the process of buying and selling ASICs, as the screenshot above shows. The simple UI shows the stats of the miners, hosting information and price in BTC. An account signup is required to utilize the marketplace, which is open to the public starting today. All right, so you can buy an ASIC. I assume that they don't ship the ASIC to your house. You literally buy it where it stands. So that means that there's now a market for people who want to punch out of their ASIC positions and sell their position to somebody who wants to jump into an ASIC position. And the miner itself never actually gets turned off, unplugged, deracked, put into a box, and shipped across the country from one guy to another. What does this enable? Mining back security bonds. That's what this shit enables. Now, I'm not poo-pooing it the whole way around. You know, it, it depends on the ethos and the morality of the people that put this shit together. And I, I, generally speaking, I've got a high degree of trust for actual Bitcoin maximalists that they're not going to burn their reputation on the altar of stupidity, right? But somebody else will. Somebody else will. This is a mining-backed security in the making. I can't believe I read this after I posited that idea about 15 minutes ago, but here we are. Mining-backed securities will probably happen. CDOs off of the securities that didn't sell, the mining-backed securities, right? Mining ba- or mining-backed security bonds or whatever you want to call them, the ones that didn't sell will go into a CDO. Those and the original mining-backed securities will have insurance policies written against them, and they will be known as credit default swaps or uh, bespoke tranche opportunities, BTOs. That's actually also a thing. Anyway, be careful. Be careful with this. Because it, it just the fact that it's not being deracked and physically shipped across the country gives me pause that now we're treating this like a security because what I'm buying this, this ASIC that is being tended by a third party in order to continue its operations and its continued operations makes me money. I don't know, man. sounds like it's passing the Howie test with flying colors to me. I'm just saying Gary Gensler is going to be looking at this shit. Be very, very careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. Allbridge offers bounty to exploiter who stole half a million dollars in yet another flash loan attack. I bring shit coinery to you just so that you understand that nobody learns. Flash loan attacks are still ongoing. There's no, nobody wants to fix this. Nobody in DeFi wants to fix what started at SushiSwap way back, what, three or four summers ago. That's how long this crap has been with us. And flash loan attacks are still occurring. Nobody has fixed a thing. Stephen Kate, Cointelegraph, the attacker behind a half million dollar exploit on the multi-chain token bridge, Allbridge, has been offered a chance by the firm to come forward as a white hat and claim a bounty. 
Blockchain security firm PeckShield first identified the attack on April the 1st, warning Allbridge in a tweet that its BNB chain pool's swap price was being manipulated by an individual acting as a liquidity provider and swapper who was able to drain the pool of $282,000 in Binance USD and $290,000 worth of Tether. <coughs> in an April 1st tweet following the hack, Allbridge offered an olive branch to the attacker in the form of an undisclosed bounty and the chance to escape any legal ramifications. Begging. We also call it begging. That's where this, I mean, DeFi literally runs until it's hacked with a flash loan. And then the owners, the people that started the whole coin, whatever, then they beg. And it's just rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. If any of your friends ever ask you, hey, what about DeFi? Just, you know, maybe I'll just, well, I guess I won't be able to do it. But I mean, there's a whole collected works of flash loan attacks that you could just like one after another, just like, well, here's what happened three years ago with a flash loan attack. Same thing happened on the same protocol, like four months later, nobody fixed anything. Do you just want to, do you want to get flash loan attacked? Well, then if you do, then by all means, go buy your ass into some DeFi. You'll get flash loan attacked too sweet. So that's the argument against DeFi, at least right now. One of these days, there may be such a thing as DeFi. I ain't seen it yet. I haven't even seen anybody pique my interest about it yet. Now, last one for the day, Decrypt.co, Matt DeSalvo. Bitrix shuts down United States crypto exchange due to regulatory environment. Can you blame them? American cryptocurrency exchange Bitrix today announced that it would wind down its U.S. operations. In a Friday statement, the exchange said that customers' funds were safe and should be withdrawn by April the 30th, while trading will continue for clients until April the 14th. The statement added that it would continue operating its Bitrix global platform, which caters to traders outside of the United States. Bitrix co-founder and CEO Richie Lai said on Twitter that it was not economically viable to continue to run the exchange in the current U.S. regulatory and economic environment. Quote, regulatory requirements often, they're often unclear and enforced without appropriate discussion or input, resulting in an uneven competitive landscape, he said. Founded in 2013, Bitrix is a small Seattle-based company. It is the 71st largest digital asset exchange with a 24-hour trading volume of only $11.7 million, according to CoinGecko. That's less than even some decentralized exchanges such as Uniswap, PancakeSwap, and Orca. <laughs> okay, so Seattle-based, which means United States, are not going to operate in their home country anymore because it's just that difficult to do. Now, I don't have any love whatsoever for exchanges because they enable shitcoinery. If it wasn't for all the shitcoins floating around, then there's no then there would be no exchanges. They would not exist simply to change your fiat money into Bitcoin and from Bitcoin back into some fiat money. I think, honestly, the only real valuable exchange for me that has anything to do with Bitcoin at this point would be a Forex, which means that you can dump any foreign currency that you want into, into the exchange. It's converted into Bitcoin, and then you can reconvert it into another foreign 
currency, a different foreign currency, because you're using Bitcoin as the trading vehicle. But even then, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or maybe, maybe just maybe that there would be utility in being able to accept multiple fiat currencies to convert into Bitcoin so that people would have the choice to hold. And maybe if 75% actually did hold for quite a bit of time and then decided to arbitrage both the price of Bitcoin and the price of fiat, a different fiat than they used to buy in, then you can kind of function stack the price of Bitcoin along with your initial entry point against another foreign fiat currency and get both the effects of Bitcoin and a Forex trading. That, that almost makes some kind of sense. But shitcoin trading does nothing but enable shitcoins. And the longer you enable shitcoins, the longer you enable people to get wrecked. And if you love your fellow man and woman, you should probably act in a way that is very different than providing them a platform to lose all of their money. I don't know how you can sleep at night when you do that. So I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not forming any tears about Bitrix going down the tubes, at least as the United States is concerned. But that doesn't make me happy about United States regulations either, because they're not doing this to protect. They're not being ethical. They're not being moral. They don't really care that somebody's got four mortgages out on their house. Gary Gensler just wants to own it all. He wants to make sure that if anybody is going to screw anybody out of their life savings, it's going to be the United States federal government and not a private company. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday, joke day. Dad says jokes. I stopped by a roadside stand that said lobster tails. $2. I paid my $2 and the guy says, once upon a time there was this lobster. That's exactly what exchanges do. It's a tale to be told. Sure, you're going to buy this, this asset. Sure, it's, it's, it's quote-unquote cryptocurrency. It does nothing. It's not what you thought it was going to be. It was a complete delusion. Please, please, please continue to warn your friends. I know it gets, it gets, I know it gets kind of bad and sorrowful because you always risk pissing off your friend. But your heart's in the right place. And as long as your heart's in the right place, continue to put out the alarm bells. Continue to say, hey, you know, you, you just told me about this, this trade that you're about to enter into. Don't do that. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. Well, God dang it. That's all you ever say. Yeah, that's all I'm ever going to say, pal. Because I've seen too many people burn their wealth. And I don't want you to do the same. Because it's eventually going to happen. Maybe not now. Maybe not next week. But surely, and once it happens, it's gone forever. Just keep that in mind. No matter how much you don't want to talk to your friends anymore, try to talk them out of doing this stupid shit. Continue to talk them out of doing this stupid shit. Even if it's hard, time, time will heal those wounds. Especially if they took your advice, even if they're mad at you, and they didn't get burned because they read something out of Cointelegraph about pancake swap, having a flash loan attack, 
and they were inches away from pulling the trigger on pancake swap. They'll be your friends forever. See you on the other side, pals. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.